Welcome to part two of our series uh, we've entitled for Love and Impact. And last week, we took on two of the most important questions that all of us need to answer for ourselves when it comes to, to life and confidence and uh, understanding of who we are and what our role is. But the two important questions that all of us need to answer is, who am I? In other words, who did God create me to be? I believe with all my heart, Psalm 139, when David wrote and he says, before I was even formed in my mother's womb, it actually says before God even formed the earth, he had you in mind, he had me in mind, he had us in mind, and he, had, he was going to make us on purpose, for purpose, for this time. That he, he, he structured all of that before he even formed the earth, knowing you by name, knowing you, making you on purpose, that you're, no one's an accident, I believe that with all my being, that God made you on purpose for a purpose for such a time as us, as this. And what's important for us to know, and this is why a lot of us need to press into our relationship with God, is we need to have a relationship with the Creator who made us for that purpose, who knew us for that purpose, to find out what that purpose is and who we are, who He made us to be and the uniqueness He made us with. But also... Second question is, you know, first question, who am I? Second question is, what am I here for? In other words, what is that purpose? That when we have the seasons that we, that life brings us, God wasn't surprised by the last season, wasn't surprised by COVID, and wasn't thinking that, oh, all of a sudden your purpose got off track. When he made you as for this time, in this season, and that knowing that he created each of us, I believe, for a purpose, and that purpose is to be a solution to a problem that we can solve. Some you, you're a solution. Did you do you believe that you're a solution to a problem right. that somewhere in this in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in in our world that you were created on purpose to be a solution to a problem. We got to find out what that purpose is. And last week we looked at. At a church, a letter to an early church, Paul wrote this to the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth was kind of, they were going through crazy trials. They were, you know, persecution, and a lot of the persecution that was happening in this time was persecution. If you became a Christian, you basically were giving up potentially a career because people, you know, the, the Roman society viewed Christians as, you know, the atheists or the ones who were godless, and because it was such a, a religious-driven society that if you were to walk away from the Roman gods, the Romans walked away from you. They viewed you as a curse. And so they stopped doing business with you and they would, you know, stop hiring you. And so a lot of a lot of the Christians in the in the early church had to give up careers many times. And if you know it in history at all, that a lot of times the career you had or the path that you were you were on was since you were a little child, that you would take after your father's career or your father's trade, and you'd be trained from a little child on. And so can you imagine that your entire life you've been trained for a career and then all of a sudden, because you had a relationship with Jesus, all of a sudden that would end and your identity would be in question. But not only was that the persecution of the time, but many of them were being imprisoned 
Many of them, including Paul, who's writing this letter, many of them were being you know, killed or family members killed. And so when Paul's writing this letter to the early church, he's writing them and, and saying, hey, we got to re-anchor in what our purpose is. You got to re-anchor in if you lost your career, that doesn't mean that you've lost your identity. That when sometimes when life throws you curveballs, it doesn't surprise God. It might surprise you, but it doesn't surprise God. And then he's, he says this in, in 2 Corinthians Verse five, he says, we got we to gotta make a decision to be centered in, in this center, in this, in this purpose right here. And we talked about that last week. And in the midst of that identity talk that he's giving to the early church, he says, he calls them, he says, we are now Christ's ambassadors or Christ's representatives. An ambassador is a representative of the king. That when Jesus ascended into heaven, you know, he, he left us here on earth to be his ambassadors, a representative with the authority of the king of kings. That an ambassador is not necessary in the land where the king resides, right? So when Jesus, if Jesus was here, he doesn't need ambassadors. But when Jesus went to heaven, he called us, not just pastors, not just leaders, not just those who are called or chosen. He called every one of us as believers to be an ambassador or representative of Christ on this earth. And then Paul says, this is the job description. And he says this in, in verse 16. He says, God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences. That's part of our job description as ambassadors, which... I look at that and I'm going, okay, <laughs> we got some work to do. I mean, there was work to do when Paul wrote this to the church in Corinth. There was work for them to do. There was, you know, differences between Jews and Gentiles and, and tax collectors and sinners and, and Samaritans and, and Israelites. There was differences all over the place, Romans and non-Romans. There was differences all over the place, religious differences, racial differences. There was, ten, you know wealthy and, and, and not. And there's all these different kinds of, of differences. And those are, it was an important call that the call of the church as ambassadors of Christ was to, to encourage men and women, persuade them is the word that he used, persuade them to set aside their differences. Well, we live in a time now, come on, where there's differences, right? Big differences. And, and we've got, I don't know if social media has helped us any, but we've got more differences, and, and we create more differences. And we've, we've, I don't know, in the last number of years, I've noticed that we've had this, that mankind or, you know, humankind has this, this crazy uh, propensity to, to disassociate with anyone who doesn't agree with them, right? We, we create differences, or we create so many boats that to such a degree that we can't get along with somebody if we disagree. Well, how many know that that path leads you to being just alone? Right? Because come on, we all have differences. We all see things differently. And, and I mean, we, we might have one thing we agree with, but we're going to eventually have something we disagree with. And what do we do without a disagreement? <laughs> we, we have to learn how to... Get along, basically. And, and what Paul says is that the call of, the, of Christians on this earth as ambassadors is one of our job descriptions is to persuade men and women to drop their differences. Well, if this was true in the, those days, it's true today. We have a big, big, big job. 
to do. That's part of our role, not to create more differences. That's what the religious like to do, right? Is that we will only accept those who agree the same way as us. Come on. And the church, we've created our own boats based on denominations, based on how you view the Bible or how you view a verse, like in the Bible, like we've created differences. And our job, we got to understand this, our job, your purpose, a problem you're called to serve, to solve is to persuade men and women to drop their differences. I think you got a, we got a job to do just at work, don't we? In our neighborhood, in our city, come on. Big differences. Now, it's interesting because Paul starts this letter to the church in Corinth this way. He says this in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. He starts the letter this way. He says, I have a serious concern to bring up with you. Always good when the pastor starts the sermon or the letter this way. I have a serious concern to bring up with you. Brace. My friends, using the authority of Jesus, our master, it's like, oh boy, he's pulling the God card. This is serious. Like, this is, this is big. This is... This is what he says. He says, I'll put it as urgently as I can. You must get along with each other. Ugh. And he says, you must learn to be considerate of one another, cultivating a life in common. It's interesting, the the word cultivating. Cultivating is what we do to prepare the soil. Like it's it's breaking up the soil in order for seed to be in there. He says, you got to cultivate a life in common. Okay, is like we got to learn to get along. In other words, what Paul's saying is, hey, if our, and he's going to later on say that our job as ambassadors, Christ's representative, is to persuade men and women to put aside their differences. But he starts the letter and says, before you can get to that, you got to get along. Put aside your differences in the house, not just before you can persuade those outside the house. To get along. How, how many know um, we can focus out there, but there's a whole lot of differences in here. I, I, come on, I, I love our church. We are a mosaic of all types, right? Um, if COVID didn't help us reveal that. <laughs> all right, but I mean, we've got, we're, we're a mosaic, and I love it. I love it. But oftentimes as a pastor, I hear, we hear as as pastors, that I can't go to that church if so-and-so goes there. Or I can't go, did you know you have so-and-so in your church? And do you know what they believe? And I'm like, yes. There's differences in here. Like, big difference. That's okay. But Paul says, I have a serious concern and he says, we got we to gotta learn to get along. Right? We must get along. He, he, in fact, I'm gonna, we're going to read from Romans chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, we're gonna read, I'm going to read this passage in, in Romans. It's in a, another letter that Paul writes. And, and this letter in Romans that Paul writes is um, an entire chapter here where he's basically saying, Expanding on this whole idea, I got an urgent thing to get along. So not only is it the church in Corinth that needs to learn this, but apparently the church in Rome does too. 
And if you read Galatians, they did too. And Ephesians, they did too. And like, it kind of was a theme. Look at this. This is, this is what Paul says in, I'm going to read from the Message Bible because it's just more blunt. And more plain to today's language. He says this in Romans 14, verse 1. Welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. Doesn't say just welcome with open arms fellow believers. He doesn't say, no, no. He says welcome those who don't see the same thing the way, see things the way you do. Well, that's a way to start it, isn't it? Come on. In other words, what he's saying is loving one another doesn't mean agreeing with one another. That loving one another doesn't necessarily mean you have to agree with one another. He's saying you got to welcome with open arms, not just half, yeah, I love you. <laughs> welcome with open arms those who don't see things the way you do. Then he goes, he says, and don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. Even when it seems, <laughs> I like this, even when it seems that they are strong on opinions, but weak in the faith. <laughs> isn't, this, isn't this what we think? Come on. When someone disagrees with us, it doesn't matter <laughs> what side of the coin you're on. When someone disagrees with you, you're thinking they're strong in opinions, but they don't have as strong a faith as you. That's why they believe differently than you. They don't have, but the funny thing is, is that they're thinking the same thing about you. Right? Come on. Then he says this. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Very insightful. So treat them gently. Here's the thing. Our differences are usually fueled by divergent life experiences rather than divergent IQ levels. Let me break that down. The reason why people think differently is because they've had different life experiences than you. Okay, we're not getting it yet. The reason why people vote differently is because they have different life experiences than you. Not because their IQ level is different. Now we're getting it? Okay. The reason why people have a different understanding of scripture than you do, theology than you do, is because they have a different background than you do, and not because their IQ or their faith level is different than yours. This is what Paul's saying. So he says you got to understand that somebody might have a pain in the past or an experience in the past or something in the past that is different than yours, which is why they see things different than you. So what does he say? Treat them gently. In other words, there might be a pain. All of us have a pain in the past that has driven us to a, a, a belief system or a way of thinking that has triggered something that we are 
either self-protective or we're, we're, we're just completely ignored it or we drove down a different path to avoid that pain again. All of us have that. So when we pick on somebody because they think different than us and not realize that they have a different life experience than us, then what happens is we trigger that pain point which creates more separation. So what Paul's saying is like, take it gentle, take it gentle, Take it gentle, because oftentimes, before we can agree, we need to love. Help me online, because it got really quiet in here. Put it in the chat. Let me know we're doing okay. Look at this. Okay, let's, let's, let's read this. I'm just going to read. I'm not going to put all these verses up here. But Paul goes and he starts breaking down some of these differences. So just, just listen to this. He says, for instance, a person who has been around uh, for a while, might well be convinced that he can eat anything on the table while another with a different background might assume he should only be a vegetarian. The Bible. <laughs> now, no, come on. In, in, in this day, this is the major issue. The, the major issue when Paul's writing this is the separation between the Jews and, and the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are just now coming into the, into the church. And the Gentiles, and this is really what he's getting to, the Gentiles believed that eating bacon was good. Pork. Pork is good. The Jews, the Jews, that wasn't kosher. So here's the thing. The, Jew, the Jewish became Christians, and because their, their upbringing was one that pork is evil, and because they believed that, that the God of Israel is the, is the same God that is Jesus, and they accepted Jesus, they didn't discard or they didn't see the need to discard any of the law or all the rest of it. So they're like, you're a Christian, you serve the same God. Anyone who becomes a Christian shouldn't eat pork. And this became this big, big battle. And then Paul's going, no, 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 wait. They have different backgrounds. Whoa, 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 whoa. And they're going, it's Bible. He's like, no, hold on. Hold on. Look at how he explains it. He goes, he, said, he says, that, you know, might assume that he should be a vegetarian and eat accordingly. But since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they fell to criticizing what the other ate or didn't eat? Come on, we're separating over a whole lot less stuff today than, than this debate. Come on. He says, God, after all, invited them both to the table. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list? Whoa. And the church in that day were crossing people off. You can't be a Christian if you eat bacon. And the other people are like, I'm out? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Check out. <laughs> Come on. Right? I mean, come on. Look at it going. This is ridiculous. It's saying you can't be a Christian. You can't come to our church if you eat pork. Like, this has become an issue. And Paul's like, who are you to cross people off the guest list? Wait, 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 wait. There's nothing in the Bible that tells us who to vote for. But we cross people off the list. Right? You can't be a Christian and. You can't come to our church and. Right? There's nothing in the Bible about vaccines. Ooh. 
We can't cross people off the list. There's nothing about mass. There's nothing about anything that we've used to separate. Come on, come on. So that's not, you can't, you can't take the right to cross people off the guest list. That's what Paul said. Do you have any business crossing off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? By the way, it's not even if I have a right because it's in the Bible. The Jews had a right because it was in the Bible. But Paul says even then you still don't have the right to cross people off the guest list. Because look, at he, he goes on. He says, if there are any corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. <laughs> In other words, don't do his job. Your job's not to judge. Your job's to love. Everybody. And according to Paul, especially those who disagree with. Then he says this. Or say, one person thinks that some days should be set aside as holy, and another thinks another day is pretty much like any other. Talking about the Sabbath. Right? There are good reasons either way. So each person is free to follow the convictions of conscience. And I grew up in a farming community. And you know what happened if, if a Christian would be harvesting on the Sunday? <gasps> the entire town would be talking. And according to Paul, that's not your issue. It's between them and God. He says this, what's important in all this is that you keep a holy day. Keep it for God's sake. If you eat meat, eat it to the glory of God and thank God for prime rib. It's in the, it's right there. Glory. <laughs> now you know my side. Thank you, Jesus. I'm, I'm just doing what the Bible says. Thank you. But then look at the Bible also says, if you're a vegetarian, eat vegetables to the glory of God and thank God for broccoli. <laughs> All the parents are writing, what was that verse? <laughs> All right. Look at this. It says this. None of us are permitted to insist on our own way. None of us. None of us are permitted to insist on our own way in, in these matters. If it's God, we are answerable to all the way from life to death and everything in between, not to each other. It's God we're answerable to, not to each other. It's God we're answerable to, not each other. That's a great place to say amen. It's God we're answerable to, not each other. That's why Jesus lived and died and then lived again so that we could... Be our, master, uh, be our master across the entire range of life and death and free us from the, the petty tyrannies of each other. <laughs> Paul does not beat around the bush. I love this. So where does that leave you when you criticize a brother? And where does that leave you when you uh, condescend a sister? I'd say it leaves you looking pretty silly, doesn't it? 
I've been silly before. He says, eventually, we're all going to end up kneeling side by side in the place of judgment, facing God. In other words, there ain't going to be camps in heaven. All of us side by side. Your critical and condescending ways aren't going to improve your position there one bit. Read it for yourself in Scripture. As I live and breathe, God says, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will uh, tell the honest truth that I and only I am God. Then he says this. So tend to your knitting. You've got your hands full just taking care of your own life before God. (laughs) Then he says this. Forget about deciding what's right for each other. Here's what you need to be concerned about, that you don't get in the way of someone else making life more difficult than it already is. Here's what you need to be concerned about. He says, don't get in the way of someone else. Man, one of my life verses is is Acts 15, verse 19. We've talked about it many times in this church because this this hit me like a ton of bricks. The the early church is is debating on on how much of the Jewish law to keep and how much to discard. In regards, they're debating over circumcision. Thank God they got that sorted out. But James, the brother of Jesus, in the midst of this debate, and this is what he declares, Acts 15, 19, he says, says, this is my declaration, therefore, let us not make it difficult for the Gentiles, or let's not make it difficult for the outsiders to come to Jesus. And here's the thing that I realize is that sometimes... Here's what I know. Sometimes it's us that makes it difficult for others to find Jesus. Right? I mean, Gandhi said this. Gandhi. Gandhi says, it's your Christ I love. It's your Christians I can't stand. He went in pursuit. Listen, Gandhi went in pursuit of Jesus. He had an intention to become a Christian and showed up at a church. And as he walked up to the doors of the church, somebody in a three-piece suit says, you can't come in. There's no Kaffirs, is what they told him, which is very derogatory, racial, allowed here. You can't come in dressed like that. And he turned around and walked away. Can you imagine? It wasn't Jesus he rejected. Come on. We can't make it difficult. It's not our job to make it difficult for people to come to Jesus. Paul goes and he says, I'm convinced. Jesus convinced me that everything uh, as it is in itself is holy. We, of course, by the way we treat or talk about it, can contaminate it. If you confuse others by making a big issue what they eat or don't eat, You're no longer a companion with them in love, are you? These, remember, are persons for whom Christ died. Would you risk sending them to hell over an item in their diet? Don't you dare let a piece of God-blessed food become an occasion of soul poisoning. God's kingdom isn't a matter of what you put into your stomach, for goodness sakes. It's what God does with your life as he sets it right, puts it together, and completes it with joy. Your task, your task is to single-mindedly serve Christ. Your task is to single-mindedly serve Christ. 
Do that and you'll kill two birds with one stone, pleasing the God above you and providing and proving your worth to the people around you. So let's agree. Look at this. So let's agree to use all of our energy. Come on, church. So let's agree, parallel church, to use all of our energy in getting along with each other. Help others with encouraging words. Don't drag them down by finding fault. You're certainly not going to permit an argument over what is served or not served at supper to wreck God's work among you, are you? (laughs) I said it before and I'll say it again. All food is good. There we go. (laughs) We're going to get a lot more amens in the 1115 service, I think. That's what I can see. All food is good, but it can turn bad if you, if you use it badly. If you use it to trip others up and send them sprawling. When you sit down to a meal, your primary concern should not be to feed your own face, but to share the life of Jesus. Man, I love that Paul uses food. That, that's the issue of the day. But listen, come on, come on, come on, come on. Any of you who have ever tried to diet or tried to to eat healthy and all the rest of it, anybody try that? Okay, a few of us. Isn't it amazing that when you try it, like you're doing it and you choose to eat differently because you weren't doing it before, right? That's what we try, right? So then when you start doing it, isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? This is this is my confession. When I start eating right, it's amazing when I drive by McDonald's and go, I can't believe people would eat that. (laughs) Two days into my diet, I was there two days before. (laughs) Right? Or you eat, and you're watching somebody eat sweet. I can't believe they would. Come on. This is our human nature, isn't it? To judge somebody else. And he's saying, hey, stop it. But we don't just do that with food. We do that with everything. Because we get a revelation and we believe, we get a revelation and we believe that everybody should have that revelation. And we judge those who don't. But understand, listen, listen, listen. Our job is not to share our revelation. Our job is to love. And to let God sort it out. Paul says, so be sensitive and courteous to others who are eating. (laughs) Don't eat or say or do things that might interfere with the free exchange of love. He says, cultivate your relationship with God, but don't impose it on others. Cultivate your relationship with God, but don't impose it on others. You are fortunate You're fortunate if your behavior and your belief are coherent. But if if you're not sure, if you notice that you are acting in ways inconsistent with what you believe, some days trying to impose your opinions on others, others days trying to please them, being a people pleaser. Isn't that true? Some days we're trying to impose our... he He says, loving one another doesn't mean becoming a people pleaser. So we jump from ditch to ditch, don't we? (laughs) 
We jump from the ditch of judging, judging, judging to, oh, we're just going to people please. He's not saying jump into the other ditch. He says, some days trying to impose your opinions on others, other days trying to please them. Then you know that you're out of line. If the way you live isn't consistent with what you believe, then it's wrong. If the way you live isn't consistent with what you believe, then it's wrong. Wow. I, I had to read that whole passage. I read it and I went, <laughs> how applicable, that, that was written 2,000 years ago. How applicable is that today? For all of us. And I'm thinking if the church throughout the last 2,000 years would have just paid attention to that and lived that way, the world would be different, wouldn't it? Our assignment, ambassadors of Christ, is to persuade men and women to put aside their differences. And the first place we start is in the house. And here's today's takeaway. Here's the thing. Is we align even if we don't agree. We align even if we don't agree. Whew. Easier said than done. But it's part of our witness, amen? Part of our job. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. God, I'm convicted. I haven't got this right. I'm full of opinions and judgments. Forgive me. Holy Spirit, I pray in this area that you'd help us to align even with those that we disagree with. Help us to, to love and to pray and to encourage and to seek the good in people, not point out the faults. God, I pray that you'd give us eyes to see as you see, eyes to see others as you see them. Thank you for the grace that you've given us. Help us to give that same grace to others. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here this morning, you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe because you're just like Gandhi, who you're curious about Jesus, but you don't want anything to do with Christianity because of the Christians, because of the church, because of the judgmentalism that you've seen. I want you to know, forgive us for misrepresenting him, that Jesus is not like that, not at all. That don't forsake him because of our faults. He's so much more than I could ever describe. And beginning a relationship with him is not a commitment to a specific church, not a commitment to 
religion, not at all. It's a personal relationship with you and him. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer that's so powerful. If you pray this prayer, believe it right here, right now, you can begin a relationship with Jesus. The prayer according to what Paul wrote in, in Romans 10, when he says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is God. And if you believe in your heart that he rose again from the dead, then you, you can begin a relationship with him. You are saved. So let's pray this together. If you're watching online, pray with me wherever you're watching from. Let's pray this together. Everyone repeat this after me. Dear Jesus, I confess that you are God. And I believe that you rose again from the dead. And I ask you right now to become my God, my Lord and Savior, my friend. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sins, for accepting me just as I am. I give my heart to you in Jesus' name. Ask everyone in the room, keep their eyes closed and heads bowed. If you pray this prayer for the first time, but just boldly raise up your hand and give me a wave and saying, yeah, Pastor, I prayed this prayer the first time. I want to begin a relationship with Jesus today. And at the end of the service, I'd love to give you a Bible. It's our free gift to you. It explains what this relationship's all about. I'm just going to look around. Just give me a quick wave. pray this prayer for the first time you're watching online just click like on the i have decided button below and our team will reach out to you and send you a bible as well isn't god good